Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast for today. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury law firm in Nashville. These folks will shoot you straight on your rights and your options when you have been injured in an accident. Give them a call at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com and tell them you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Kickoff time for Vanderbilt's football game with Kentucky has been set. That game will be played November 14th in Lexington, and it will kick off at 11 Central. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light joins us from The Athletic, as he does most weeks. Mitch, appreciate you joining us. Hope you're doing well, sir. I am, Chris. Thank you. I would Be- ask if you're doing well, but I, first of all, I don't really care, and I would just assume you are. <laughs> my, my story is usually boring anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into, before we do Vanderbilt, just college football in general, Starting with the SEC, I don't know about you, but I cannot remember many more boring weekends of SEC football than what we just saw this week. And I think when the highlight is a halftime brawl, that sort of says it all. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about, you know, the week as a whole after it's done. I kind of thought about it going in. And it was funny because on our the, the SEC podcast that I do with The Athletic, on, if you let me get a little uh, uh, pitch in for that on Thursdays with David Ubbin, Football and Grits, he asked me, you know, what I thought about the weekend coming up. And I usually say I judge a conference as a whole, the quality of a conference based on like how deep it is and how many good teams there are. But I judge a, a football weekend by how good the best games are. Like when Alabama Georgia is your best game, that's like one of the best weekends of the year. When Auburn LSU is the CBS game and neither team has been playing that great, 
you kind of know it's not a great week of SEC football. And actually, usually, usually when we don't think there's going to be a great week, it ends up being crazy stuff happening. But that was not the case. You're right. It was uh, none of the games were that compelling. The closest game, Georgia, Kentucky, was boring. Uh, and then, the, like you said, the, the most exciting thing to happen was probably a, a halftime brawl. So um, I'm thankful there's college football, Chris, but I can't say it was a great week of college football, at least in the SEC. Did we get more or less clarity on the league this weekend? Because LSU just leaves you scratching your head every time you think you know where that's going. Uh, Missouri seemed to be the team that was sort of maybe stepping up and making it interesting. And then it ran into that buzzsaw in Gainesville. Uh, I mean, I guess Arkansas has been kind of consistent. That team was competitive once again. But what do you make coming out of this weekend in the league that you did not know going in? Yeah, Arkansas was um, – that game was a little misleading. They had a little backdoor cover. They were down two to three scores the whole time. And uh, I, that one wasn't a surprise to me just because Arkansas – again, I don't want to have to preface the caveats. You know, they're over, over – uh, exceeding expectations. Sam Pittman's done a great job, but they had, they led the SEC with 13 turnovers. They had forced, they had intercepted 10 passes. You know, if you follow college football and statistics, turnovers like that, it's not sustainable. So I thought they might go down to Texas A&M unless they, you know, force some bunch of turnovers again, that they would struggle. And A&M kind of controlled that game. So um, I don't think there's much more clarity. You know, Missouri didn't, not a great showing from Missouri. I watched that game. They, they had the pick six. They really struggled offensively, which was a little bit of a surprise because Florida was struggling on defense. Florida had been off for two weeks. Florida had some secondary guys out. They, they were really young in the secondary on Saturday night. Uh, so probably, probably a step back for Missouri, especially in a game that they've been surprisingly competitive in that, that series had been four games to four games in the eight, in the eight years since Missouri joined the sec, which is probably not what Florida had Florida fans thought when Missouri would join the league that they'd go, uh, you know, 500 against them. So, you know, Mississippi State continues to just be awful on offense. So uh, Kentucky is what Kentucky is. They, they new quarterbacks, same problems passing the ball, you know. So, I again, not an exciting weekend. I don't really think any more clarity than we had going into the weekend. Before we get into Vanderbilt and the game against Ole Miss, this seems like a good time to segue into Mississippi State because two things are catching my eye there. First of all, State has been just abysmal in turnovers. I think it is minus 12, which I don't think anybody in the league is more than minus three or minus four beside them. I looked that up earlier in the day and don't remember, but that was astonishing. And B, you've got a lot of kids leaving that program, Mitch, and I know it's an unusual year, but that's always a little bit of a red flag to me. Throw in the fact they can't score points, throw in the fact that uh, you know they've got a quarterback issue that the backup there is awful um I, I don't know what do you make a state at this point yeah I mean this has been brutal and you know unfortunately we've seen some really bad Vanderbilt offenses in recent years you know just this year last year then going back to Derek Mason's first year I think this they had 632 yards in the open against LSU 400 yards against Arkansas which is fine but since then 295 217 and 200 that is unbelievably bad there's some 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 numbers that Michael Leach has never had to deal with yeah the 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 thing about Michael Leach is his it, a lot of people were saying especially after the opener oh people said his offense wouldn't work in the SEC and all that and I never thought Michael Leach didn't get a job in the SEC because people thought his offense wouldn't work I thought he never got a job because 
he's kind of a loose cannon and you never know what he's going to say. And he, he might, he's not afraid to pardon my French piss off his team. He'll just say anything about his team. And, but you know, this, this is kind of my interpretation and it might not be fair or accurate, but where you're at Washington state, you know, I follow recruiting pretty closely. I'd say of the 86 scholarship players at Washington state, two thirds of them probably did not have another power five offer. Mississippi state, Every one of its players, okay, let's say 90% of its players had other good Power 5 offers. They don't need Mike Leach to play Power 5 football like maybe they did at Washington State. So if they don't like what he's doing, they don't like the way he's running the program, he's going to say, screw it. They're going to say, screw it. I'm leaving. And we're seeing that happen. And maybe he's just getting you know, the, the guys out there that aren't buying in, and in three years they're going to look back, and I can look at these comments and say I was completely wrong. But and they're actually recruiting really well. I think he's got a top 25 recruiting class right now, but it's clearly not going well. And I, you know, KJ Costello is a fifth-year senior, and Will Rogers is a true freshman. They're going back and forth there. They don't run the ball. They can't run the ball. So, uh, yeah, it is. It's been brutal. And then the funny thing is just how much praise, and rightfully so, they got after that that week one win. That was crazy. Do you think Costello plays this weekend because he left the Alabama game with some type of a head injury? I don't know if he was diagnosed as concussion or what, but that's never a good situation. Yeah, I have no idea. I have not followed up on that yet. Um, it was it's just Monday, so I did not watch a ton of that game. It wasn't. I kind of kept kept an eye on it, but it wasn't. I was, I was following some other games more closely, so I, I don't know. And quite frankly, I mean, obviously, you never hope it's a head injury, but. If you ask Mike Leach, he'd probably just, at this point, wouldn't mind going to Will Rogers, his true freshman, the kid that he recruited. Well, the problem with Will Rogers is he's averaging 4.4 yards per throw. He's got four picks and one touchdown. And, oh, by the way, when they need to run the ball, they're averaging 1.7 per carry. So I think this could be a sneakily interesting game. Now, don't get me wrong. Vanderbilt has got all kinds of problems. But you never know if you get in a 13-10 to 10 type game which this seems to have plenty of the makings of that, that's where one play, one turnover, one something can really tilt the game. And I'm not saying they're going to win. I don't think Vanderbilt will. But I could see a scenario where we look back and we say that 19.5-point line was really out of line, especially if Costello does not play. And maybe yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Vanderbilt is just that bad. And And trust me, I was looking at the stats this morning thinking – you know, they're not going to cover the spread no matter what. And then I start digging in on state. And sometimes what's in front of you, you know how bad that is, but you, we lose the ability to translate that to somebody else, right? And having not watched them as much probably as you have, I started just looking at their numbers. No, their defense is really good. Uh, but Vanderbilt's not scoring against much of anybody. And you have that A&M game is at least one example of where they held somebody down. So that's a lot of thinking out loud. But to me, when I looked at the numbers, I'm like, okay, th- there's a case that this game could be interesting. Yeah, and you're right. You know why? I've pre-watched I haven't watched every Vanderbilt snap. You probably have. Um, just my Saturday duties, I've had to turn the game off at certain times. Um, but, you know, I think Vanderbilt's offense – has been a little bit better than the numbers indicate, especially the scoring indicates they've had, you know, the red zone problem. They've had revolving door at running back. They seem to have run the ball better statistically than I thought they would. And Ken Seals, I know all defense is bad, but Ken Seals played well the other day. So I think Vanderbilt's offense again is a little bit 
better than, than the numbers indicate. Um, you know, I didn't do the math, but if you took out Mississippi State's opener uh, against LSU and what they've done since then, you know, Vanderbilt's offense has probably been better than Mississippi State's over the last three or four weeks games. Maybe not. It's, it's close. I think a lot of this game's perception, too. You know, but lines are made to try and get equal money on both sides. And, you know, the perception is that Vanderbilt's not good, but it's not. And there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, Mississippi State, well, they, you know, they did beat LSU and it's Mike Leach. So, you know, I, I, I do think the line's a little high, put it that way. Well, I think this is the time where perception and things catch up because I looked at that Ole Miss line and I thought the way Ole Miss plays, I thought the line of 18 was too low and, and Ole Miss covered that in the first quarter. I look at this one and I think it's now where everybody's perceived how terrible Vanderbilt is, which is not hard to believe because if you're in and you're out, the brand is not good. And I think this might be one of those where if you just take the names off the jerseys, I wonder if that line is different. Yeah. I mean, that happens a lot in college football um, because, again, the, the lines are set based on power, you know, uh, power rankings and the, the guys in Vegas know what they're doing, but they're also set based on public opinion. They're trying to get equal money on both sides. So um, I think Vanderbilt's that's for good and bad. That's that's helped and hurt Vanderbilt in years past. In, in betting lines and perception. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. And I, I think, you know, with both of those teams, this teams, it's going to be sort of a who wants to be there, who wants to, who who gets off to a good start. You know, I, I think the best thing for Vanderbilt would be, you know, jumping up 10 nothing if that's possible. And, you know, just Mississippi State, we know the morale on that team cannot be good um, and, and kind of uh, get Mississippi State and, and lo- kind of looking around at each other like, uh oh, uh, what's going on here? I'm going to put you on the spot. What difference do you see in the line if Costello plays and if he doesn't? Oh, I, you know, that's, that's a good question. I don't know enough. I haven't watched enough of both Costello and Rogers. I wouldn't think much. I don't have much different impression of the game. I mean, I know Costello is a better, more polished player. He's a fifth year senior. He's played a lot of football. Um, I wouldn't think it'd be more of a two point swing either way, but I could be way off in that. It's a good question. I just, I, I, haven't watched enough of Mississippi State of both quarterbacks. I mean, I watched the first game when he looked great, and then I've watched Costello throw a bunch of picks as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say the the swing between the outcomes there is crazy because this is the kid who set the all-time SEC record for passing yards in week one. Now, LSU is awful defensively. Uh, You've got the COVID situation just really making college football really strange on that opening weekend anyway. You've got a lot of variables, but – it does illustrate there's a crazy set of data points between what he did and what they're getting out of their backup at, at the low end. Yeah, but they, yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the drive chart in games too, but there's a reason where, where Rodgers started to play is because Costello was, was not good either. You know, he was throwing uh, a bunch of picks, did not play well against Arkansas. Uh, you know, he, he has, he has not really been, I give Mississippi state credit, all that stuff, but I, you look back at week one and you just, it's more of a, what, what the hell was LSU doing more than what was Mississippi state doing? Well, and let's shift to Vandy right now. I question whether that secondary can cover anybody, Mitch. Yeah, it's, it hasn't, obviously it, it hasn't been good. And, um, seems to be a lack of speed in the secondary. And, and, you know, I'm just kind of going over the top The Vanderbilt historically has had, even on some not so great Vanderbilt teams have had some good shutdown corners or good quality SEC cornerbacks where you just 
you know, you felt good that that's a guy that could play on most other rosters on that team uh, in the league. And I just don't see that now. And I, I don't have as good a grasp on the team this year as I did when I was sideline reporter and was, you know, going to practice and talking to coaches more. But to me, it just seems like there's not much separation in the guys, if that makes sense. There's just, there's a lot of guys and, you know, it's not like they've got a first team, a second team, a third team. It seems like they're all about the same ability and none of them are getting the job done right now. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I see two things happening over and over. You saw it with Elijah Moore. He gets a couple steps behind the defender, and if the ball's there, it's a touchdown. I think that happens too much. And then you get those little routes over the middle where a guy gets the ball and gets a full head of steam and weaves through a bunch of would-be tacklers and nobody can bring him down. It just seems like the whole the whole passing game against him is just playing on a loop right now. Right. There's certain in Elijah Moore is a very good player, but you know, I, I I've always said this and it's kind of one of the evaluations that I made that turned out to be true in my seven years of doing sideline reporting, AJ Brown might've been the most physically impressive wide receiver that I saw in person. Now, maybe, you know, Jamar chase last year, but up until that point, and, you know, when AJ Brown's doing that to you, that's one thing he's, he's clear, turned out to be a great NFL player. He's an elite. You, you can have just, and Elijah Moore is better than an average SEC wide receiver, but you can't just have your rank and file SEC guys doing that week in and week out. And, you know, not to pick on a guy, but I remember going back to the opener two years ago, I guess it would be, uh, um, or was it last year? Deshaun Jerkins. You know, I just, he's a guy that I know the coaches have always liked, but I just consistently see him taking wrong angles at guys in the secondary. And when you're a safety, that's, you're the last line of defense. You, you need to, you need to make plays like that. And I realize there's some world-class athletes in the SEC, but that's that's what you signed up to do. And and that's, you know, they, they've clearly got to do a better job because I was talking to my son watching the game. And, you know, you, the problem with Vanderbilt's defense right now is they can't string together enough good plays. Like, you, you had the, if they stop the run on first down and then force an incomplete pass, I had no confidence that they were going to do it for a third time. You know, you've got to be able to string together really good plays uh, or, or, you know, in a row. You can't just, oh, we played two good plays and gave up 15 yards. I mean, that's demoralizing. You know, there's different ways to get beat as a defense. One is the, you know, four-yard run, seven-yard run, 15-yard pass, seven-yard run. And the other was the, you know, make a good play, make a good play, then get gashed. And that's, you know... That seemed to be more the case against Ole Miss the last two years, just without looking at the, you know, the play-by-play. Just oh, Vanderbilt's done some decent things defensively, but then they just can't string together more than two good plays. What is the average yards per play right now across college football the last two years? Um, well, I can tell you what the – hold on a second. Last year – the number one team, Ohio State, gave up 4.1. UMass, the last team, gave up 7.7. So the teams in the middle, which would be teams like 64, 65, 66, were about 5.6, 5.7. This year, there haven't been as many teams play, so 103 teams. So team 50 is 5.6. 5, yeah, so about 5.6, I'd say. Let me go check back to 2018 just so we can get um, even more. Another, Yeah, so it seems like 5.6 is right in the middle. Okay, well, they're 7.5 right now. And I yeah, want to say they were... Vanderbilt's 100th in the country. Uh, Minnesota has only played two games, and I watched their Friday game. 
this is unsustainably bad. They're giving up 9.5 yards per play, which would be historically bad. But um, Vanderbilt is second to last among Power 5 teams right now. It's hard to row the boat when it's leaking. Yes, it is. Did you see the uh, the tweet that Maryland sent out after the game? No, I did not. Immediately, it was a picture of T- Talia Tungavaloa uh, standing up saying, boat, oh, I'm going to botch something about the boat crash, sinking. And then there was a, you, in the background, there was a capsized boat. So, you know. Maybe they should have burned the boats, as James Franklin suggested. Yes, yes. That's, uh, <laughs> it worked. Of, I had no idea there were going to be this many boat analogies in the podcast yeah. today. But, well, where I'm going, again, Vanderbilt averaging 7.5 yards per play against, which I think that's an important stat. But the thing that I have noticed, and I did a thing in the 3 one today about this. I went back and looked at their last 13 games against Power 5 teams which started with the opener last year against Georgia. And they just can't make anybody one-dimensional, Mitch. I mean, some days I watch them and I'm like, why would you ever call a pass the way you can run it? And then you see Ole Miss get 12.2 yards a pass and you think, why would anybody ever (laughs) run the ball given the way you can pass against them? Now, I think their run defense is maybe a little bit better this year. I'm not sure how much. It's not like they faced an elite rushing team, but – I don't know what their remedy is right now. I think on the back end and coverage, the key is getting to the passer more quickly. I think that can cut down your windows a little bit. It can cut down the time receivers have to get separation, but they're not getting to the quarterback anymore. I just don't know how you fix this. Right, and you make a good point there. We can be critical of the secondary and it hasn't played well, but when – when the guys have all time to throw, all the time in the world to throw, then obviously that makes that life very that makes life difficult. And yeah, I, I don't know what other than just to sit here and say it's a lack of talent. You know, I th- I think, uh, um, you know, I was kind of critical of Jason Tarver last year. It just seemed like ever since he took over from Derek for Derek Mason's defensive coordinator, the defense w- wasn't good. Um, you know, I think they're. I mean, I like the coordinator hires they made. So maybe it's just as simple as a lack of talent and just getting outclassed uh, athletically on, on the outside and just not having the guys to get up to the quarterback. So, um, like you said, I don't I don't know what the remedy is, and and I don't know how much of college football is confidence, but they surely didn't have the opportunity this year to get um, confident. Uh, you know, some some non-conference games like they did in the past. You you know, you're playing ten SEC games. There's there's no opportunity. To, to get comfortable and to, 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 to find a rhythm against an inferior opponent like in years past. Okay, this is not apples to apples because college football has changed a lot just even in the last half dozen years. But Franklin's last year, they averaged 5.1 yards per play against. 2014, Mason's first year, and it seemed like the defense was worse than this, but it was 5.7 per play. Uh, Mason's second year, they're 5.2, then 5.9 and 16, 5.8 and 2017, uh, then 6.1 and 6.6 under Tarver, and now under Ted Roof, who's, I think, arguably the most accomplished defensive coordinator of the bunch, they're worse. Yeah, I'm looking back to 2012, the average play, yards per play was about 5.6, which is about the same. I mean, I think that the high end of college football is more potent. Um, yeah, I mean, credit credit that staff. I mean, Bob Shoup did a great job with that defense. He had three good defenses. Now, the offense was better, so it 
you know, from a yards per play, that doesn't affect yards per play, but it just it affects everything when your offense is your defense doesn't doesn't have to be as good when your offense is there's not as much pressure on your defense. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. The defensive numbers have been awful in way too many of the years that Derek Mason's been head coach. And then the offense has struggled most of the time as well. There were some couple good years with with um, Kyle Shermer his last two years and the offense was very good. Um, but when the offense hasn't been good and you, the defense has been consistently been bad, it's football's pretty easy uh, game to, to, to break down when you, when you're not stopping anybody. Let's talk offense for a minute. Granted, Ole Miss is abysmal on defense, but you have to take the positives where you can at this point. And, and the other thing too, is some of these teams build up these gaudy play yard numbers against bad defenses, and so Vanderbilt gets one of those, and, and so I think it's fair game as part of the sample size. Right. Ken Seals, I thought, was very good. Um, really, they were just – the defense couldn't stop anybody. They had no chance to win that game, but I thought he controlled what he controlled pretty well. Ben Bresnahan, who I know you're a big fan of, has started to really show some things, got behind the defense, got a 43-yard touchdown – and then you had Cam Johnson emerging as a reliable guy over the middle. You had them playing some young offensive linemen. Ashmore starts. Braden Bapst gets some reps late, which I think that's always a big thing is to get your young kids on the offensive line some experience. So I did see some things that they can build on offensively from that loss. Yeah, uh, I I agree. And you know, uh, like I said before, and I know the numbers have been horrid, but maybe because my expectations because of the offensive line issues heading into the season, my ex- to the naked eye, without looking at the stats, the offense seems to have been a little bit better at moving the ball than the numbers indicate. And this was a game where you, you'd hope they would move the ball better, and they did. And I thought they had a good good plan early, some quick passes to get out to Cam Johnson to get him, get him uh, going. Um, I, I should know this, and I did, like I said, I'm watching, mul- you know, I've gone from being at the Vanderbilt games to now watching, but also having to have my eye on multiple games at once for work. What was the deal with Jamari Wakefield? I don't know why he didn't play. There wasn't an announcement. They did announce before the game that Javian Marlowe was suspended. I don't know what the deal is there. Wakefield might've been a, I want to say it was a COVID casualty, but I could have sworn that I saw him in warmups. In fact, I'm going to look at the roster because I checked off everybody who was there. I got to the game an hour early. Wakefield was on the field, so I don't know what the deal was. Yeah, so, I mean, I thought he's run the ball well. Like, you know, losing uh, Marlowe hurts, but uh, Brooks Henry's been pretty good, too, although, his, you know, his running numbers weren't great there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, with the young offensive line playing, there's signs of life on the offensive line. I think they can grow, they'll continue to grow with seals. A couple things, too, which – I didn't love, and at no point did I think Vanderbilt was going to win the game, um, you know, once the game got going. But I didn't love, I think, in the first half, maybe fourth and 10 or fourth and 12 from the Ole Miss 40 punting. Um, you had shown no ability to stop Ole Miss. And so what's an extra 20, 30 yards if you don't get it? I didn't like that. And I think in the third quarter they punted fourth and two from, like, their own 40. Again, when you haven't literally haven't stopped the, the other team except at the start of the half – I think you need to, anytime you're on the their side of the field, you go for it. And if it's fourth and two or fourth and three and less, even on your own side, unless you're like the 20, you go for it. So, I mean, those are small things there, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, Chris, looking for, looking for a few positives and, and no doubt the offense was showing signs of life. 
Well, speaking of coaching stuff, have you ever seen the duplicate jersey number penalty called before? Because I don't recall seeing that yes. one. Have Several you? times. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying this to defend anybody. It happens. I watched enough college football. It now it only happens on special teams. I think it's happened against Vanderbilt uh, a couple of years ago in an opening kickoff. Um I forgot who Vanderbilt was playing, like someone, you know, it was type of thing where someone wasn't ready or they got nicked up and were, and someone else coaches subbed someone in. So that 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 does happen. I mean, it's it's clearly not a good look and it shouldn't happen, but it, it does happen. Well, when you have no margin for error, you've got to have right. coaching winning you games and not costing you games. And I just didn't see evidence that that was happening. So anyway, I'll tell you another guy. Everybody knows my nephew plays at Wyoming. Congratulations to them on getting a win against Hawaii. Man, if you think that this staff is frustrating to watch on offense at times, which it is, I feel like I'm watching the same thing a lot of times at Wyoming. Um, Just so predictable on play calling, maybe even worse. Uh, And then they did the same thing. I think they might have even punted inside the 40 on a fourth and short. Uh, and, and then they did it around the 42 or 43. I mean, Craig Bowl just does it over and over and over. He, he's old school. Oh, very old school. There, there's this huge gap between the Kiffins of the world and then the guys like Bowl who are pretending that it's still the 1980s. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll say I, I think Derek Mason has shown the uh, uh, the proclivity, if that's the right word, to go for it on fourth down a lot more in, in the latter – in the maybe the last two, three, four years. And I've, I'm a big proponent of going for it on fourth down in a lot of situations. So I disagreed on these two cases, but I don't want to, I, I don't think he's a crow magnon, you know, old school football coach that never goes for it on fourth down. I don't watch a lot of Wyoming, but if you told me that's the way Craig Bowles coaches, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah. I think Bowl is worse about it than Mason is. So it, it, just to clarify, I, my point being that Derek, I've had some issues with it. You have too, but he's hardly the only guy out there who does that. So Anyway, let's go to the mailbag quickly. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give his business a try and tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Brain13 says, how has the defense fallen so far from game one? What is the roster situation, and will we get our secondary back so we can at least be competitive? Yeah, I don't know what worked so well in week one that did not, you know, that hasn't worked. It's not like Texas, you know, I I could be wrong here. I don't really subscribe to the whole coaches holding stuff back that much now maybe A&M did but I think once you're in a close game A&M finds itself in a one score game in the opener against Vanderbilt they're not holding things back anymore so I don't want to uh, say that was the reason uh, they seem to get good pressure on A&M maybe they did some things that were you know hadn't been hadn't seen on the A&M staff hadn't seen on film caught that offensive line by surprise um but I think we've seen enough the last few weeks to know that that was unfortunately not not going to be the norm this year. So um, there have been a lot of moving parts on the secondary, and I've never played secondary in major college football, so I don't know how much continuity matters. 
Um, maybe that matters a lot and maybe that's been a big problem, but I think it's also just, there's a lot of, a lot of guys and, and they're just, they're all equal ability and none of them are getting the job done that, you know, so I don't, I don't know what the remedy is. Yeah. I'm mostly with you. One thing that was a huge difference in that game is Vanderbilt forced three turnovers. It has forced one total in three games since that and the pressure that they got on Kellen Mond. I think that that was Part of it, I just don't think they called A&M on a good day. I think A&M felt like it could just show up and win that game, which is basically what happened. Uh, but to me, that's how I explain that. Now, I would like to know the schematics and things like that, the adjustment teams have made against them. And I'm not the guy to tell you that, but those were some obvious things. Yes, and I mean, the turnover's no doubt. And not, you know, not saying that A&M scores when they don't turn the ball over because it's not like they scored every possession where they got the ball, but you know, scoring on one of them changes the whole tenor of the game. Um, but that's, you know, give Vanderbilt credit. They played well in week one. Baseball Brothers does not pull a lot of punches in this questions. Why would anyone be a fan of Vanderbilt football at this point? There's nothing that looks promising going forward except maybe Ken Seals. But one player won't help when the coaching staff is garbage and the playmakers aren't any good around him. Um, well, I'll let I'm you take a stab. Right. I'm not going to get into the psychology of being a fan or it's not my place to tell someone to be a fan or not. But if that's the way people judge being a fan, then, you know, certain professional. T- why would anyone be a Cleveland Browns fan? Why would anyone be a New York Jets fan? You're a fan because you're a fan and that's your team. I mean, that's just the way I look all of my teams. You know, I've, I've rooted for some terrible teams. I've rooted for some really good teams. And um, you, again, if you're a fan, you're a fan. I mean, it may be I'm, I'm just picking the word fan. Obviously, right now, there's not a lot of positives with Vanderbilt football, but the way the question was phrased, if you're a fan of a team, you're a fan because that's what you are. Yeah, I like the way you answer that one. Columbiano Door says, give me your top five under-the-radar coaches and coordinators that Vandy could target if somehow a coaching change could happen. He says, besides Willie Fritz, haha. I don't know why you would exclude Willie Fritz from that discussion, but anyway, go ahead. Probably he might know that I'm a big Willie Fritz guy. So oh, um, gotcha. Like I almost when Tulane was losing a couple of weeks ago, I almost tweeted like, "Is there a chance that Willie Fritz might not be awesome?" But I, you know, so I actually I think this is last year didn't seem to be a good year. I think this is a good year for young coaching candidates. Um, I think there's some good ones. I this has, I would have told you this name before the season. I like Jamie Chadwell a lot, the Coastal Carolina coach. Um, I liked him. He was the head coach at Charleston Southern when Vanderbilt played them in Derek Mason's first year and almost beat Vanderbilt. I like his offense. You know, I might be in the minority here, but he runs kind of a modified option. You know, a lot of running, a lot of misdirection stuff. I like that stuff. So I think he is a good young coach. Clark Lee, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Obviously, everyone knows his Vanderbilt ties. Um, I think Will Healy, obviously at Charlotte, they lost big to Duke, but there's no denying he's a good young coach. Uh, Marcus Freeman, the Cincinnati defensive coordinator, coordinator, former Ohio State players, a very good young coach of the coordinators. Tony Scott at Clemson. Uh, Billy Napier, the head coach at, Louis, at Louisiana, has done a good job. So I'm probably missing a few guys, but those are some of the interesting names that are out there right now. You know, the thought has been that there wouldn't be a lot of coaching changes this year because of COVID and the difficulties with roster disparities and everything that has come with that. I tend to be a contrarian. I think – well, I I take that back. I'm not a contrarian in that I think that's 
maybe the way it'll play out with depleted funds at a lot of schools. But I think if you're a school like Vanderbilt where you have cash at your disposal, right, don't tell me they don't have the cash if they need to find it. To me, this is an ideal time to make a coaching change if that's what you feel you need to do because I think the competition for good coaches will be less than it's ever been. Yeah, that's kind of was my point too. So for not just for Vanderbilt, for the schools that are thinking about it, you you can you know again like you just said the, the pool is better. There's it's a good pool and there's less competition. So um, yeah, it, it's easy to say before the season, oh, there's not going to be any changes. But like once things start happening and fan bases get disgruntled, I'm just talking I'm talking nationally here too. In in athletic directors get disgusted and all this stuff, it, you know, you kind of, you, some schools might change their tune. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, Pete Thamel had an interesting, and he's a guy who's very well connected. I don't know if you saw it in his Yahoo wrap up, had a note about Vanderbilt in there and some movement and some desires. And, you know, it just seemed like he had talked to some people um, and he didn't write it just to write it, put it that way. I have not seen that yet. So what was yeah, in go, there? Look at Pete Thamel's Sunday I think it was posted Sunday, basically just saying that there's, you know, just you, you can read it for yourself. I don't want to pair. I don't want to incorrectly paraphrase it. Got you. It, I, caught, I it, caught, it caught my eye. Put it that way. Well, there's been some rumbling for a few weeks that the chancellor has uh, been thinking of a change. And of course the question is who's got the power there. And I've done this podcast a few times with other people. So I'll spare you that today, but I will be checking that out as soon as we're done. Ann Arbor Door says, assuming Daniel Deermeyer is serious about supporting the athletic department, what does AD success look like in one year, five years, and ten years? Oh, that's that's a that's a good question. It's a difficult question. You know, I, I'll say this by not all. You know, you you really have to just try and get inside of a program to to see the health of a program. You can't just go by records. Like I always say. You know, is Coach A going to get fired after this year if he goes four and eight or six and six? Well, not all four and eights are created equally. You could you could go four and eight and lose six games by four points or less, or you can go four and eight and get blown out in all but games. You know, so like if if you got to just for argument's sake, there's a new football coach in three years and his record's four and eight or five and seven, you could sit. You might want to sit here and say, well, that's not a success. But what if it's clear that things are going in the right way. If they're building the right way. Um, and you kind of, you kind of know that from the inside out. And, you know, I would say, uh, continued success from the, all the Olympic sports, most of the Olympic sports are successful. And you, obviously you want to, if you're, if you're running an athletic department and you're making a commitment, you want to, you want those to, to, to stay successful. You don't want to just throw all your eggs in the, the football and the basketball basket. So, um, you know, I, I think we've all been around Vanderbilt long enough to, to know when we can, when, when the athletic department, the teams are healthy, there's been eras where they have been, there's been eras where they're not right now. The, the problem is the, the high profile sports are struggling at, I wouldn't say unprecedented levels. I mean, the football program has had, you know, I was talking to my son about this, my freshman and sophomore years, Vanderbilt one and 10, one and 10. Actually, I was talking to my daughter about it. Um, who's at Vanderbilt now. And so this isn't, this clearly isn't unprecedented. But uh, when you're living in it, it, it feels doesn't feel good. So um, it's a difficult question to answer. I think you just sort of, as a fan, you just kind of sort of know when you when you if you feel things are going in the right direction, then I think it's a healthy department. 
Well, my answer to that would be that I think that they're way behind in football and basketball right now. And, and there's a basketball question coming up. I think people can differ on the direction with that. But I think that they are in such a – I don't know, in, in such a bad place in a lot of places. It's hard to expect things getting really better on the field in, in a year from now. But I think what you can do is announce facilities – and if you do that, I think that greatly heightens your chances in year five and year ten. And frankly, you know, five years from now, they should be competing for NCAA tournaments and bowl games. And if they're not, then they probably got the wrong guys in charge. Yeah, and I mean, programs have different ebbs and flows too. I, Indiana's a good example. Like, you know, they're, they're a program that, from a football standpoint, they they have not invested compared to the rest of the big 10. I, you know, I don't know this, all the details. I just know like their, their facilities aren't as good. They, they've had, they've come close a lot of years and they've been five and seven, a lot of years and some losses. And now they, they hired the right guy in Tom Allen. They, they were fortunate to beat Penn state, but they're two and oh now. Sometimes you just, it's, it's sometimes it just takes the right coach and a lucky bounce where Penn state guy scores a touchdown when he shouldn't. And they're, they're two and oh, and they're ranked. If they don't win that game, they're one and one and they beat Rutgers. So big deal. So, you know, that's sort of like, you gotta, I, I think most people who would, who, who follow college football would say t- for Indiana. And I know I'm a little tangent here, but for Indiana, the program is in pretty good health right now. Now are they healthier because they got lucky to beat Penn state and they're ranked 15th in the country than they would have been if they were one and one, probably not, but, from the outward looking outside looking in there. Oh, wow. Indiana is off to a great start. You know, all this stuff. So if that made sense, um, just sort of like you can, obviously you need the right people in place, but then sometimes things need to go right. I was, I know we're going long here and I, this is, this doesn't, I, I always think James Franklin owed a lot of his, um, first year success or to get the ball rolling to Paul Pasqualoni. Like sometimes you get lucky when Vanderbilt plays UConn and that kind of that, that game that a lot of people look at is sort of like the, a big turning point in James Franklin when they came from behind to beat UConn. And that's the game he said, I knew we were going to win. Well, you know, UConn throws the ball into like a third and eight late in the game in its own territory when they're trying to salt the game away, when they probably should have just run it and punted it. And Casey Hayward gets a pick six or returns it to close. If you remember that play. So like, give Vanderbilt credit, give Casey Hayward credit. But I always look back at like Paul Pasqualoni, like, what are you doing? Why are you throwing the ball? And that turned into a big play in the James Franklin era. Yeah, I remember that one for sure. Uh, And that was a game. In fact, I talked about that game last week on the podcast with somebody else. UConn was not very good. And yet that was sort of a dead even game. But I think that's one they win and they hadn't won much in a couple of years. And suddenly that gives you some confidence that you can do some things. And you look up a month later and they're playing Arkansas toe to toe when it was a top that's, five team. So yes, that's exactly my point. Yeah. It was just sort of like, it was just one of those turning points where how do you learn how to win? Well, you learn how to win by winning. And that's the game where Vanderbilt won, but they were also aided by a, you know, a questionable coaching decision by, you know, a coach who got fired. I think after that year, last one from door 74, any buzz on basketball practice regarding the upcoming season? I have not been over there at all. Um, like I, I've told you many times, you know, when I'm over there a lot in the fall when I was a sideline reporter going to practices. So now, I mean, I, I, I really have nothing to offer on that front. Yeah, well, I don't think they're letting anybody in. So um, I don't think we'd, we'd get a chance to see much anyway. There's really not much buzz at all coming out of there. And I think that's probably by design. 
Yeah, I mean, certain pro- it's up to the head coach, it's their prerogative. Certain programs, you know, I would go over there several times in the preseason when Kevin Stallings was the head coach. Not not as much Bryce Drew. I just was busier, and my, my offices used to be our offices at Athlon Sports used to be right across the street, so I would go over and had a good relationship with Kevin. Would go over there a lot, but n- not you know, uh, not the case now. So not saying you know, I think we're both saying the same thing. Just the lack of buzz doesn't mean anything. It's just that there's no information coming out. Mitch, thank you for your time today. Honestly, I think there was more material there to talk about than I thought we'd have going in, so that was enjoyable. Thank you for coming on our podcast today. Anything that we didn't touch on that's worth discussion, and then once you're done with that, if you don't mind, uh, give us your Twitter handle, promote anything that you're doing at The Athletic or anything else that you'd like to throw on the table. Okay, thanks, Chris. Well, you can uh, at Mitch Lights, my Twitter handle, and uh, you can catch me on the Thursday edition of Football and Grits, the SEC podcast at uh, at the Athletic. Um, it's basically me and David Ubbin on Thursday, and then Andy Staples co-hosts on some other days. Josh Kendall, our South Carolina writer, so some good SEC stuff there. So, other than that, uh, not that's pretty much it. Thank you, Mitch. All right, take care, Chris. He is Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening and should come back with you with two more podcasts later this week. So be sure and stay tuned to catch those.